Exclusive interviews with the guys on the field. I just kind of bought all in when he told me. I was like, it didn't matter. You know, I didn't play in my life before. And I had the, the, the right instincts to play football on a certain level. And um, I, I just I just kind of knew it. Greg Metzik goes one-on-one with your favorite Packers players. Well, I've had certain moments where guys told me, hey, like, this could be it. Like, what are you going to do after this? And every single time, I'd be like, no, this, this is not going to be it. The best of the best around the league and just to be around those guys and see what it's like to be an elite player, man, it was definitely eye-opening. On WTMJ. And welcome to another Packers one-on-one. I'm Greg Matzik, and over the next hour, we will get to know Milwaukee native, former UW standout, and current Packer tight end Lance Kendricks. Also in the second half hour of the program, we'll recap the Bears game, look ahead to Baltimore with the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. Lance Kendricks grew up in Milwaukee, played high school football at Rufus King, and then ended up at University of Wisconsin. How good is it for Kendricks, a veteran of the NFL, to finally be back in his home state? So first of all, I have to ask you, when growing up in Milwaukee, playing college ball in Wisconsin, ultimately yeah. ending up in Green Bay, uh, is that kind of the childhood dream? I mean, when you were growing up in Milwaukee, was when football became an idea for you? I mean, for real? Yeah. Was this all part of the dream? It, it, it was, and it. I mean, and it still is. I think uh, growing up watching those Badger games, watching Ron Dan run the ball thirty times a game when you were, you know, ten years old, and um, just you know watching those Rose Bowls and being able to kind of be a part of that, be a part of the city, you know, rooting for your teams. The, the next step of that is being able to do do it. So I think growing up and, you know, going to high school in Milwaukee and everything, just it, it was always kind of a, a passion and kind of a drive that I kind of just gave myself. And um, it, it, it was almost just second nature for me to just kind of thrive and uh, try to work my way to you know, UW-Madison and to the league. So when did football ultimately become something in your mind that you thought, you know what, I might be able to do this and, and get paid to do it and have it yeah. be my profession? Uh, it, I mean, sounds cliche, but before high school, I would say probably when I was like 12 or 13. I, I knew I was athletic enough. Um, I knew I was fast enough, I, and I had the, the, the right instincts to play football on a certain level. And um uh, I, I just, I just kind of knew it. Were you always a little bigger, faster, stronger too? Yeah, I, I was. I was. Um, I'm the youngest brother of four, but I'm the tallest, and uh, um, it, it, it just worked out that you know I, I ran track growing up. Um, I've, I've ran track since I was like eight or nine years old, so I was always fast. And um, at, when I was about thirteen, fourteen, I started getting really tall. So I, I, I used to play quarterback. I used to just kind of mess around, and I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to take this serious, let me start playing receiver because I know I don't want to be a quarterback. <laughs> so I started playing receiver in, like, flag football. And, like, you know, uh, in eighth grade, I, I played uh, just uh, tackle football in, like, the, the youth league, you know, uh, community youth league or whatever. So um, I, th- I think right around 12, 13, I, I was starting to take it serious. Did you say youngest of four brothers? Yes. All right, so four brothers. You grew up in a military household. Yeah. What was that like, and in, in, in what branch of service? Uh, well, my my dad wasn't in the military. Uh, my dad was actually a machinist, but um, my uncles, uh, I, w- I want to say one of my uncles was in the Air Force, and my grandfather uh, served in World War II. And um, I have a close cousin who was a Marine. Um, so it, it was always a part of the family, um, not my immediate family, but... It was definitely always just a part of the family. So you always had that level of respect, yes, right, for those who served. And, right. 
Um, the reason I bring it up, Lance, and we've talked about this mm-hmm. kind of uh, off uh, off mic before, but growing up with that respect level and, and that understanding of, of what it's all about, how difficult was it for you to not stand for the national anthem earlier this year? It was it was it was really difficult because um, I, I feel like Trump's comments almost put a lot of players in a um, in a really odd situation to where you you almost feel disrespected by his words calling you know players SOBs and stuff like that and you know you, you got to stand and but uh, I feel like a lot of people kind of forget why we're we're doing it and it's not that we're doing it to be ignorant or we're doing it to you know make people upset we're doing it to to create a focus on things that are happening in the world and um, that was my reasoning, and my reasoning happened to be uh, Puerto Rico, which uh, which is directly affected uh, uh, with me through my wife, who is uh, Puerto Rican. Okay, so I think, and, and I think this is where it kind of got lost. A lot of people around the league have right. have chosen to, to take a knee or kneel, but I think it's it, it maybe the message got a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. Why is this person doing it? Why is that person yeah. doing it? Um, I didn't know that connection with your family uh, yeah. until after the game. So I think the assumption was it was racial injustice or things of that right. of that nature. In which it is. I mean, I think that's still part of it. I think and then at the end of the day, it all comes down to, uh, you know, just what's right and what's wrong. What's, you know, it, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territorial country. And we, and having that, um, uh, what do I want to call it? Having that responsibility of being a U.S. territorial country, if, a hurricane hits that country and you say it's U.S. territorial, we're supposed to take care of that country. And that wasn't really done. Three and a half million people in Puerto Rico. Your your wife's got about 100 family members or so. Yes. Now, first of all, is everybody okay? Have have you been able to to contact? Yes. Uh, Eventually, uh, she was able to get a a hold of her grandfather, which took a couple weeks, I think, think 10 days or something like that. And um, she has a, a, a godfather and a bunch of close relatives and there's a ton of people over there, but she was able to get in contact with, with one who was able to get in contact with more. So it worked out. It's still not back to normal, though. Is it's it? still not back to normal. I think we forget about that, right? Yeah, I mean, it happened a few months close. ago, and there's been a ton of hurricanes, yeah. it seems, in the last few months. And other big stories take the front page, but it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that other stories have been resolved. Right. It's it's still unresolved. Um, and it, it's tough because it's an island. It's, uh, it's remote, so it's, it's not like you can just take a take a drive there or anything like that um you have to fly there and i'm sure there are issues with the airports and coming in and out so i was able to donate to um uh victor cruz's uh kind of gofundme kind of account and um that way i knew uh the money was going directly to puerto rico um i actually met victor cruz uh i want to say last year 2016 over the summer we both went out to uh, England for the uh, for the games that were played over there. We kind of went as ambassadors of the team. So I was able to meet him, talk to him, and kind of get to know him. So I knew him donating to Puerto Rico was like a, a, a big thing for him being uh, Hispanic. So uh, that 
kind of drove me to donate to his cause. Do you feel like it's on on the right path now? It, it may have taken a little bit too long, but yeah, I think so. And yeah. I, I think there's enough celebrities that are Puerto Rican in the U.S. that kind of were able to make some kind of uh, contribution to the country. Coming up next, I'm getting recruited by these colleges. I wanted to be a dual sport athlete, not I, I guess forever, but you know, as long as I could. Choosing UW. It's after this on Packers One on One. You're listening to Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik. Welcome back to the program. Greg Matzik continuing our conversation with Packers tight end Lance Kendricks, who went to the University of Wisconsin and starred in his final couple of seasons with the Badgers, but he was also a track and field athlete, at least for one year. You were a two-sport athlete in college. I don't think a lot of people knew this. You you did track for one year, but then you started catching passes, and all of a sudden track was no longer a part of the puzzle. Uh, can you walk me through that a little bit? Because, I mean, you're a triple jumper. You did a little yeah. bit of everything in high school and then succeeded in 2007 at Madison in track and field. Yeah. And then what happened? Uh, I gained weight. but <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, I, I I was an All-American triple jumper in high school. I was really good. I was, like, top. I was ranked number one for a while, and I was top whatever, five, something like that. And uh, going – uh, to college and getting recruited by these colleges. I wanted to be a dual sport athlete, not, I, I guess, forever, but, you know, as long as I could. I, I, I ran track, like I said, since I was eight years old, so I, I just loved it. And um, I began to run track in college as well as play football receiver. Uh, I went to college as a receiver, and I started gaining weight just because of the lift program they had us on. And after that first year, I was about 220, 225, and I was like, I don't know if I could triple jump anymore, so let me just stick with football, and uh, I had to learn tight end. Uh, I got changed over to tight end, so that was kind of new to me, so I wanted to make sure all my focus was on that. So um, Track was fun. I I went to the Big Ten Championship track meet. I think I placed ninth, so I was like one spot away from getting a medal or something or getting points for the team, but so there was, it was your decision to walk away from track. It wasn't Coach Bielema. He didn't influence that at all. He, it, it was a little bit of both. I think we both had an understanding that all right, it, it was fun. Let's 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 take this. Let's start taking it serious because my uh, I was kind of the next tight end out of a group of tight ends that went to the NFL uh, over those past five years. Well, you're the only one that were running jet sweeps, though, if I remember right. You might have been the only yeah. tight end of the country running jet sweeps. Yeah, I was. They were throwing me reverses and everything. I think I had one game. I had like three rushes for like ninety some yards. Something crazy. Isn't that the tape that belongs in Mike McCarthy's office right <laughs> yeah, now? Hey, yeah, remember when definitely. I did this? <laughs> I'll bring that back. I gotta call Coach Chris and get that. <laughs> um, you were part of a, a, a draft class from Wisconsin. Do you remember all the guys from 2011 who were drafted yep. at UW? Uh, yep, JJ Watt, John Moffitt. Um, Gabe Karimi, Scott Tolzien. I don't know if Scott was drafted or not. Scott was not drafted. Okay. Um, Bill Nagy, I think, was drafted. Um, who am I missing? John Clay wasn't drafted. Surprise. No, you got him. You got them all. Yeah. Bill Nagy was drafted in the seventh round. Yep. Karimi and Moffitt, both offensive linemen. Watt went to number 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, went number 11. You're the only guy playing right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't knock on wood, but... uh. I I think the main thing is just um, you know everybody wants to know like what, what how longevity works in the NFL. I think it's just taking care of your body and making sure that you're mentally just in it, and that also you don't you don't kind of just drive yourself crazy with football. You know you like some people are weight junkies, some people are uh, health junkies. 
I try to find kind of somewhere in the middle. You know, I, I don't want to lift too much to where I hurt myself lifting. I don't want to uh, eat too healthy work to the point where I'm not enjoying what I'm eating. I don't know. I, I just try to find like a middle ground and kind of just, you know, stay in my own lane. Was there a, a player, Lance, who you played with in college who you thought to yourself, man, that dude is going to be a beast at the next level? And it just didn't work out for whatever reason. I mean, sometimes it's hmm. injuries, sometimes it's drive or passion, but it just didn't work out. I would say, um, I mean, we had, we had a ton of really good running backs, but you know, John Clay, Monty Ball. I think those two are the ones that really stick out to me because those guys could run the rock like like no other. And um, that that was just you know unfortunate injuries. I remember Monty couldn't. Uh, he, he had some a nagging injury. He couldn't stay out there, and then Clay had an ACL. So um, it, it, it's unfortunate, but um, you know they they played as much as long as they could. Coming out of the the city conference at Rufus King, mm-hmm. um, you probably had a lot of talented guys you played with. Yeah, who just couldn't get out of Milwaukee. Maybe couldn't yeah. get out of the city conference for, again for whatever reasons. The yeah. opportunity wasn't there. Um, maybe ended up in some trouble. Yeah, yeah. That's. Are, are you considered a role model? Just from your high school, from where you're from? I, I think I am, um, especially my high school. Uh, a lot of those guys know me, and they, they knew me before I came here. Uh, just, you know, I, I think I think not being the typical football player kind of got me a little more respect only because, you know, everybody is like, okay, you can play football, you can play basketball, but can you pick up a book and read? You know, are you educated in this, or can you draw, like, Art was my second passion other than playing sports just because I, I, I knew being I knew I needed something to keep me busy as opposed to being out in the streets. You know, I, I so picking up a pencil and drawing, that was kind of my getaway. Um, and it was fun. Like I, I, I took that just as serious as I took uh, playing football or running track. Is that an easy trap to fall in in Milwaukee? It's, it's a segregated community. I don't think there's any question about it. I've lived there. You live there. Yep. We all know it. Yep. Very segregated trap to fall in. It, it is. It's. It's. And it's not only an easy trap to fall into. It's hard to get out once you fall into it. And I think the main thing is to just follow your heart. And you got to listen to those who. Who if if somebody gives you advice, you know you got to listen to those people. If and I remember just coming out of high school for me, the biggest issue for guys was grades. Like they couldn't make a two point oh, and it's like. All you have to do is go to class. Like just show up. And, you know, if you care about football or basketball or baseball, whatever it is, if you care about it that much, then you care enough to go to class and just make sure you're, you're on point with that. Because at the end of the day, if you want to play at the next level, you have to have good enough grades to get into college. And if you don't, then you can't. Coming up next. Once you have that kid, you know that you now have a new responsibility to protect him, make sure he's safe. Family life and giving back. It's after this on Packers one-on-one. Now, more of Packers one-on-one with Greg Matzik. And welcome back to the program, wrapping things up here in our first block of Packers one-on-one with tight end Lance Kendricks. Coming up in our next segment, we hear from the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee. Well, we know Kendricks grew up in the Milwaukee area. Now he's living in Green Bay with a newly born child. How often do you get back to Rufus King? Um, I was able to get back over the summer, and um, me and Lance Allen, we did a, a interview at my old high school. Um, other than that, I, I didn't get back. I, I wanted to get back for homecoming, but it was, it was a tight schedule with that. And, uh, you know, and having a month old baby, it's kind of been tight too. So, 
Um, I, I definitely want to get back because I have to retire my jersey at some point. So that's like a I have to do it. So that needs to be done. You, you kind of walked me down the, the path to my next question. I know you're a new father. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you don't look too tired to me. Not today. Okay. <laughs> some days uh, are better than others, yeah, right? Yeah, that's something good. Um, how has this totally flipped your world? I assume all for the better, but it's flipped. Yeah, it's it's just, um, I, I think it's so instinctual. You know, once you have that kid, um, you know that you now have a new responsibility to protect him, make sure he's safe, to make sure that he's uh, growing up in a well environment and everything like that. So I, I think for me as, you know, being a new dad, um, especially having a new son, you know, I, I know that I need to be his role model. And in order to do that, I got to make sure that everything is set up the right way and, and I have the right people around me. And, as it, you know, me and my wife, we, we just surround ourselves with good people. That I think that's important as well. Well, what do you love about it? And, and, and what do you not love about it right now? Um, he, he's a, he's a great kid. I, I love having just a new presence in the home and a new gift. you know, it, it's, um, last year, uh, right around the time he was born, my wife's mother passed of cancer. So, uh, full coming full circle to this year, uh, with, within a month of, uh, my wife's mother's, uh, passing, uh, we gave birth to our son. So it's kind of a blessing in disguise a little bit. So, um, uh, I, I, I love having him in the house and then I guess some of the negatives would just be your, your sleep schedule just goes out the window. You know, if, if your wife needs help at three in the morning, your wife needs help. You know, if you got to change the diaper here and there, uh, late night or hold him a while to get him to sleep, you know, just having to take turns. I mean, it, it could take a toll on both of you. Um, uh, I, I don't want to sound selfish, but it takes a toll on the, the men too. You know, we, we got to get up and go to work. So <laughs> it, we, while we're at work, we're still thinking about them at home. So it is tricky, man. You'll, you'll, you'll clear hurdles and, and they'll feel like a, you'll feel like a new man once you don't have to bring a bottle out anymore. Yep. Right. And they're yep. on solid foods and all mm-hmm. of a sudden diapers are gone. It's like, woo! Yeah. you feel like you've really graduated. Yep. It's crazy, man. It it's, it's a life changer. It is. Um, the final thing for you, what do you want to do when this is all done? When football is no longer your day job? I, I've always been into real estate and I want to go into real estate development, uh, community development. I want to, um, be a developer and create communities and, uh, low income housing for people so they can afford it. And, um, I, I just know growing up in a city, not everybody owns their home. You know, a lot of people rent and it's, you know, it's tough. It's, it's hard to afford homes and, um, to be able to give people that, uh, especially like younger, uh, couples, you know, 25 to 28 year olds, new first, uh, buying their first home, you, you want to be able to afford it. So, uh, just, uh, real estate is just somehow always been my passion. So, well, I feel like there's, there's a city close to your heart that, that could that could use you. That can use it, yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, Lance, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out. Coming up next on Packers One on One, we turn to the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larvey, and look back on the Chicago win and look ahead to the Baltimore Ravens. It's after this on WTMJ. This is Packers One on One with Greg Matzik. And welcome back in. It's Packers one-on-one, the second half of the program. We devote the time to the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee. Hey, Wayne, 
How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing well, and uh, certainly uh, doing better after a Packers win, a much-needed win over Chicago, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, this is a big time here for the Packers' tight end group to prove that they can get the job done without Martellus Bennett. We just talked with Lance Kendricks for about a half an hour. Uh, a veteran in this group, to be sure, but where can he help this offense and maybe be a, a bit of a security blanket for Brett Hundley? Yeah, I think he can really help in that short to medium passing range uh, for Brett. He's a veteran who knows how to get open. He's quick enough to get open in those short zones, and, you know, Brett can see him right away and identify uh, if he's open or not right away in the pass pattern. So I think that's really what they're looking for uh, from Lance. Can he get the seam? I don't know. I, I would assume he can. I think he runs a little bit better right now, actually, than Martellus Bennett showed us. And so, uh, you know, you, you could look for him down the seam a little bit as well. This whole Bennett situation, Wayne, have you ever experienced anything like this? This is pretty up high on the bizarre meter here. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, he's manipulated the um, the process. He's manipulated the system is what he's done. And the league has got to do something about that. Um, the Packers, number one, should not have dead money on their cap as a result of the bonus money owed uh, to Martello Spenn. And as a matter of fact, they should get refunded whatever bonus money they've given him outside of the first year of the contract. So, you know, that's number one. But number two, the guy absolutely manipulated the system, he told teams, had his agent tell teams he was retiring and then when the Patriots called he was back on the field so I don't know what to believe but it's uh, it's a pretty shady situation and it sounds to me like uh, you know Greg I, I don't know if he ever really wanted to be here um, it didn't seem like it he never really fit in with the offense that well because he didn't run good routes what can I tell you he you know Rogers relies on these guys to run precise routes and uh, Marty doesn't do that very well kind of freelances a little bit does his own thing um, Brady was hitting him the other the night in Denver on, on just, you know, kind of scatter-type plays and, you know, that type of thing. So maybe they've got a little bit more of a system that accommodates that in New England. I don't know, but, um, you know, it, he wasn't fitting in here, I can tell you that, before the Rodgers injury, and then afterward, he had no interest being here. So Marty the player is a lot like Marty the person, right? Just interested in doing his own thing, and whatever works out best for him, he's going to do. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I really do. And I, I think those people who say he quit on his team, that is not too strong a statement to say. I know players and coaches are saying, well, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I'd say that. That's exactly what he did. When Rodgers went down and the going got tough, Marty got going. Yep, that seemingly follows Marty Bennett's career to a T. All right, Wayne, we move on to the good stuff that happened on Sunday. Packers earning a win over the Chicago Bears. And this was a Bears team coming off the bye week. They had seen the Packers play here back-to-back weeks. It was not impressive. Let's be candid about it. And probably felt very good about their opportunities to beat the Packers on their home field. And, boy, it sure didn't happen here. And credit the Packers for getting that pass rush that was sorely missing, getting Brett Hundley into a little of a rhythm. His ability to connect on big plays downfield in the fourth quarter I thought were huge. And turning up 160 yards against a top-10 defense here, I put it all together. It was a, it was an earned win, more so than the Bears losing the game with some bizarre happenings. The Packers earned this one. Yeah, I thought uh, Chicago felt this game was the most important game in John Fox's tenure. This is where they were going to turn the corner. As I listened to talk radio on the way down, and Chicago is the greatest uh, sports town in America. There are three talk shows. I'm listening uh, Sunday mornings. I'm driving to the stadium, going from one show to the other, and everybody was saying, "Hey, this is it. This is where you take the bully. They don't have their. They've got one arm tied behind their back. If you can't beat the Packers now, you never will." All that uh, stuff was going into the pregame. All that stuff was leading into the 
week, um, you know, going into this game, and the Bears were um, in a very good place. They felt very good about the way they were playing going into the bye week, and they felt that this is going to be their turnaround of the season, and uh, this would ignite them. But um, the Packers came in, and from the very start, Greg, you could see in the trenches, Green Bay was going to be the better team in the trenches, and this was a trench-type game. Two young quarterbacks um, in their infancy of their careers as starters, and uh, they weren't going to win the game. Uh, there was just no way. that The game was going to be won on the ground, in the trenches. Whoever controlled the line of scrimmage was going to win this football game. The Packers controlled the line of scrimmage. Ten tackles behind the line of scrimmage by the defensive line, and then an offensive line that helped grind out uh, with three different running backs, 160 rushing yards against a good defensive front seven. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I want to talk more about that run game coming up next. We had injuries to Aaron Jones. We know he's going to be out three to six weeks. Ty Montgomery, his rib injury, that's a bit of a mystery as we tape this. And then, of course, Jamal Williams, the, the rookie. And then there's another guy, Devontae Mays, who hasn't really seen the field at all this season. What will the Packers do moving forward? We'll discuss it after this on Packers One-on-One. Back to Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik. And welcome back in. Packers One-on-One continues. I'm Greg Matzik, joined by the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. Sunday's win over the Bears did come at a bit of a cost here. Packers losing running back Aaron Jones with a knee injury. Looks like he'll miss three to six weeks. Ty Montgomery, his status is a little murky right now, still dealing with that rib injury that sidelined him earlier in the season. And Jamal Williams really toted the, the load here. 20 carries, 67 yards, all in the second half. And more than likely, Wayne, it looks like he will be the guy, at least uh, maybe starting a game here against Baltimore. Uh, I'm not sure we'll find out, I guess, a little more on Montgomery's injury situation. But just when you have a good thing happen, the injury bug rears its ugly head. Yeah, it's been a story of the season. It really has. And, you know, the other injury I'm a little worried about from that game is Kevin King with a shoulder injury. Hope he'll be okay and able to play because that's a guy they need on the corner of that defense, especially against a team that's bringing in a couple of pretty quick wide receivers out there uh, in Baltimore. But get back to the running game. Yeah, I mean, you know, they had to reach deep down and, and go for Jamal Williams. And uh, Jamal's a tough runner between the tackles. And that game was made for him uh, in Chicago on Sunday raining, wet field, uh, mudder-type conditions. He's a mudder, and that's what he did. Uh, It was amazing that he had the kind of game he had, you know, the 67 yards or whatever it was rushing. His longest run was only seven yards, so that means he earned every yard he hammered away at. Well, and it, it, I looked at the stats afterwards, 3.3 yards per carry, 20 carries, 67 yards. Those aren't eye-popping, but his running was more effective, I think, than the stat line showed. I do. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly because of when the running occurred. It was in the fourth quarter. The Bears knew the Packers were going to run the football, and Williams kept running it, getting three and four yards, um, sometimes six yards on a pop. And, and that was when those were winning plays as the Bears were trying to get the Packers off the field, and the Packers are trying to salt the game away. Well, as I'm looking at the schedule here, they'll be at Pittsburgh, a night game, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Then it's home against Tampa Bay at Cleveland. Uh, I mean, you, you don't really have a lot of warm weather opportunities left the rest of the way. Maybe this is the time that is somewhat meant for Williams. As you mentioned, a tough, kind of hard-nosed, physical, downhill, fall-forward kind of runner. This seemingly w- would be the kind of conditions he should thrive in. Yeah, I would think so. He's a December runner, I guess you'd say. And in that regard, he should 
should pan out pretty well. But you're right, we've got the uh, weather games coming up. And even that Minnesota game is a weather game because that's in Green Bay um, uh, Christmas time. So you're looking at a schedule that for the Packers you would think has favored them pretty well. Uh, they're getting a Baltimore team, however, Greg, coming off a bye week and a Baltimore team that I don't know what to make of. I'm watch, looking at them and, and watching them, and, and they one day they, they win 40 to nothing, and the next day they get pummeled by somebody else. And, you know, Jacksonville just uh, beat them like 44 to 7 in London. I, I don't know what to make of this Baltimore team. They've been all over the map. They've got some great, um, potentially great players at wide receiver. Mike Wallace is on this team. He's very fast and still very fast and one of the quickest receivers in the game. And, and you know, I, I don't know really what to make of them and or how they'll come in. I, I think they'll come in rested and ready to go, but um, I don't know how good they are. Well, it's back-to-back weeks. The Packers are facing a team coming off the bye. It certainly didn't work out well for the Bears. That extra time to prepare, and uh, hopefully it doesn't work out well for the Ravens. But you mentioned kind of the Jekyll and Hyde nature of their team. What what do they lean on here, right? They, they've got a ton of different running backs. It seems like the passing game looks good one week, and then it's just, I mean, awful the next week. Flacco is, is Flacco, right? He's kind of a statue with a big arm. And I always think defense when it comes to the Ravens is that's what kind of props them up still. Well, I mean, at times it has. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they get blown away. So I, I just don't know what to make of this football team at all. Um, I, you know, some people have said, well, they're just not very good. And they're like a lot of teams in the league. They're not very good. It's not a very good league right now. And I hate to say that because I make my living doing NFL football. But there are a lot of mediocre teams in this league, and maybe Baltimore is one of them. But at times they can be really good, and they, you, they're scary good. And you just hope that's not the, when they come into Green Bay this weekend. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I, I just think the quarterback, Brett Hundley, took a step up in that fourth quarter. And I really thought he's made made a pretty solid progression each week, Greg, since he's been starting now. And I think the fourth quarter will really give him a boost of confidence. I know it boosted the confidence of his teammates. And I, I just think inside that locker room, I know while many on the outside have trepidation about the Packers, I think that locker room is pretty solid now and that they feel they can make something happen here with this quarterback. They can win. He's good enough to win with. Well, when they had to be better, Wayne, the Packers were better than they were in their previous two games. And, and you... I, I think you hit the nail right on the head here with with Hundley. It's my question was: Can he hit a deep ball? Can can he put the team on his shoulders at a time when you know maybe the rest of the team isn't isn't propping up the quarterback and the offense for a win? And the last couple of weeks, it it just hasn't happened. Defense was a bit of a letdown. Passing game was a bit of a letdown. And it came together here on Sunday against the Bears, and he connected on a couple of deep balls. The confidence started to juice up a little bit. And at a time when they needed him to be closer to special than just a game manager, he was that. And he was doing it with a a tweaked hamstring. So you have to be encouraged, at least, uh, moving forward, that you're starting to get more pelts, right? Just a little bit more experience. I've done this. I can do that. The confidence is starting to build, and, and I think it's a good sign. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, there were three plays in the fourth quarter he made. Uh, obviously, the um, touchdown throw, which was a brilliant throw to uh, Devontae Adams. He, he threw him open, and, and you don't see young quarterbacks do that very often um, in, in the passing game. But he did he did it on that play. He had a scramble, a 17-yard scramble that got the uh, Packers out of a um, third-down situation and converted into a first down at the Bears' 20-yard line prior to the throw uh, to Devontae Adams. 
Adams. And then I thought the biggest play maybe of the game uh, was on third and 10 of the Packers, 35. He hits the 42-yard bomb uh, to Devontae Adams out of bounds of the sidelines. It almost basically sealed the game away right there. That was the dagger shot. And, and you know, I understand the Packers muffed the field goal attempt, and that's another issue. But um, the Bears had got the ball back. They had a glimmer of hope, but only a glimmer. And, and the way that game was going, I didn't think they were going to be able to get it done from deep in their own territory. So those three plays, I think, are, are what we saw as the maturation of a young quarterback right there. Let's see where he goes from here, Greg, but it, it, I think maybe we'll be able to, in a few weeks, point back to those three plays in the Chicago game that, that really made Brett Hundley. And coming up next, we'll wrap up the program. Do the Packers have four or five more wins on their schedule? It's likely what they need to be a postseason team. We'll figure it out after this on WTMJ. You're listening to Packers One-on-One with Greg Matzik. Wrapping up Packers One-on-One, I'm Greg Matzik, joined by the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee. After that win over Chicago, back home to Lambeau to take on a 4-5 and Baltimore Ravens team. You've got the Buccaneers, who are struggling, also on the home schedule, a trip to Cleveland, Carolina, Minnesota, Detroit, Pittsburgh, all on the schedule here on out. And, Wayne, I, look, I don't know if or when Aaron Rodgers could be healthy enough to come back. Uh, I'm sure that... Uh, if the Packers are looking like they are really in this thing, uh, we, we might start hearing about a timeline. But let's first things first, let's take care of business here this weekend. When you look at the schedule, the way it's shaping up, and I know the NFL is a week-to-week sort of business, but do you look at this and say, yeah, all right, I, four wins, five wins, I, I think that's doable here for this team from here on out. Well, you know, I mean, you look at the games that uh, they probably will be favored in. I'm not sure if they'll be favored against Baltimore. I would think they might be uh, this game at home. You've got to take care of the games you, you are at least the equal of from a talent standpoint uh, of the opponent. You know, the, the Baltimore game's a game you've got to win. If the Packers are going to go to the playoffs this year, they win this ball game Sunday in Lambeau Field. Pittsburgh, now come on, that's Pittsburgh on the road. Steelers are the probably the best team overall in the AFC right now. Tampa Bay at home. Yeah, you're right. Tampa Bay struggles. Greg, even if uh, Winston plays a quarterback, you got to win that game at home. At Cleveland, you can't be, uh, you can't mess up at Cleveland. You've got to get a win there. Carolina is another team that's uh, been up and down, but you know they're they were among the league leaders in in many respects. And Carolina is a team on the road that is a very tough out at home. So that's going to be a, an interesting ball game. Then you've got Minnesota at home on December twenty third. Um, you know, again, that that's a situation where if you win that game, you got a good leg up on, on making the playoffs and then you finish up at Detroit um, you know Minnesota and Detroit have proven that right now without Aaron Rodgers at quarterback Minnesota and Detroit have already beaten the Packers and beaten them fairly soundly it, it could be a tiebreaker situation who knows coming up late uh, you got to get to nine for sure and maybe ten uh, to get into the playoffs you have to think here if you're the Green Bay Packers uh, it was an encouraging win there's no doubt about that Wayne but if I'm going to try and you know bring everybody back to earth here, the Bears are a last place team. I, they played like a last place team at times. They, they got into their own way with six penalties in the first quarter. They used a challenge that I guess John Fox actually won, but it took points off the board and resulted in a turnover. Right? So who defended the Bears better, the Packers or their own coaching staff? You had to win that game. You had to be better that game than New Orleans and Detroit, and even the second half against Minnesota. But realistically. That win means nothing on Sunday unless you can stack the success and do it again at home because that's the last place team that you beat. It, great. You did it. I know the Bears were favored, but you had to be better there. 
and it's a new challenge. It, it, it's a different team, an uncommon opponent, and you're back at home. So you really got to take another step here. You really do, Greg. And, uh, I, again, I thought the defense on the defensive line stepped up nicely. The front seven stepped up nicely. I, I think this week they're going to need to play better in the secondary uh, against this Baltimore team. They're not a dynamic passing attack by any stretch of the imagination, nothing like New Orleans or, or even Minnesota or Detroit. But they are they're a capable offense, and this is a you know, game where the Packers secondary is going to have to step up, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I, Greg, I think the Packers are capable of winning five games down the stretch. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but again, we'll have to see a little bit more out of that defense and consistency from that offense. And uh, where are they going to get the running yards from uh, in December when the weather's bad? And, you know, that's the thing. They're going to have to grind out some games on the ground, I think, as well. All right, Wayne, we appreciate your time as always. Thanks for checking in. And thank you for listening to another Packers one-on-one. If you missed any of the program, check it out online at WTMJ.com.